Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Canadian Story. I'm very honored to have Keith Matthew here, uh, a chief, uh, a paragon in his community, but also or a former chief now, a uh, paragon in his community. Uh, Keith, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit of your background? Thank you, David. It's uh, nice to be here. Uh, hello to you and Zach. Uh, hey. As you mentioned, uh, my name is Keith Matthew. I'm from the Simp First Nation. We're uh, one of uh, 16 uh, nations that make up the uh, Shuswap Nation, and uh, the language that we speak is Sequapamstein, which is an interior Salish dialect. And we're closely related to uh, the Enlakapam or the Nicola people, the uh, Statlian people or the Lilawat, and uh, uh, Silk people. So there's four interior Salish tribes. We're one of those four great tribes, and uh, we all speak interior Salish dialects. And uh, we understand each other enough to swear at each other. Like <laughs> I had a so, very important, very important. I had a important. friend say once. Absolutely. Uh, I know English and cursing. So <laughs> uh, those are the first things you learn yeah, when you're learning exactly. a language. Right? But exactly. uh, just a little bit about me, guys. Um, I'm I'm a former chief uh, and counselor for my community. I I served for ten years, uh, five years as a counselor, and then five years as the chief of the same. First Nation. And uh, during that time, I was uh, instrumental in being our uh, lead negotiator on a number of different uh, economic development projects, including uh, helping uh, us buy half interest in uh, Mike Wiggly helicopter skiing. And that was more of a passive investment for us, but uh, it allowed me to go heli skiing anytime I wanted. <laughs> I never did take a, take the oh, opportunity, by the way. That, that's, you should have. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I kicked myself uh, for that one. But uh, also put together uh, deals with uh, uh, major industry players in forestry by acquiring and uh, uh, purchasing uh, fiber agreements for, for my community. I helped uh, negotiate our first agreement with uh, Trans Mountain. Uh, it was then known as Kinder Morgan Canada. Uh, back in 2007, I helped negotiate that agreement for us and, uh, and a subsequent agreement in May 2016. And uh, as you guys are probably well aware, pipelines and energy issues are a huge uh, public policy issue uh, that's ongoing debate around uh, climate change and all those other things. So uh, I, I I was uh, instrumental in getting to, to yes on those agreements. We walked those agreements through our community. We designed uh, uh, an information package and uh, we had an independent third party who uh, did the uh, uh, community vote for us and we got 80% support for all nice. those projects. That uh, And that's the informed consent piece that everyone talks about that's popular in, uh, in uh, uh, discussions today. So we've actually done that. I was also instrumental in helping uh, develop our uh, SIMP uh, uh, development, or SIMP Resources Limited. And uh, that's our development corporation for our community. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. I currently chair that uh, for my community. We're going to be uh, probably netting about $30 million this year. Amazing. We, have, Amazing. Uh, we, we, do, uh, we do work on, uh, uh, we're pipeliners and loggers in the North, North Thompson Valley here in uh, British Columbia. And uh, 
We've got, uh, um, uh, we do uh, operations and maintenance for the pipeline, as well as uh, construction. We do reactivation and we have 18 uh, joint ventures. We've got 0.7% unemployment rate. In my oh, that's wow. amazing. 0.7, guys. <laughs> wow. I've never heard of a number that low. Wow. So, yeah. so was it, well, how, walk us through well, how you went, uh, how you got there. Like, what did, how did it, what did it take to build this? Oh, a lot of hard work. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we started in 2007, uh, the current iteration for Simple Resource Limited. And, you know, it, it took a lot of work because there, there has to be a clear separation between uh, politics and business, you know, and, and that gets mentioned a lot in uh, a lot of the literature around structuring a, a, a successful development corporation for uh, Indigenous communities. And, uh, you know, we, we, we put in the, the, uh, the legal structure as well as uh, we talked to uh, our uh, best uh, minds in the local area around, uh, uh, you know, the, the tax experts and making sure that we had, uh, you know, uh, uh, an advance ruling uh, from, uh, from Revenue Canada for our, our structure so it would be tax-free, which, uh, you know, everyone sort of wishes they had. Yes, yes. <laughs> but sure. our community has that in place, and we've got the proper legal structure, and we, uh, we've been working away at it for the past 13 years. And uh, it took a lot of hard work. So what happens with uh, um, uh, the uh, – we, we first set up our – consultation accommodation framework, which is based on Haida and Taku uh, Supreme Court of Canada decisions that were handed down probably over 15 years ago now. And we learned from Delgamuk, which was uh, uh, the uh, northern tribes in British Columbia, won that uh, Supreme Court of Canada challenge uh, back in uh, the, the late 90s. And even though they won the decision, there was no um, action follow-up as far as putting in place in practical terms what that uh, uh, Supreme Court of Canada decision actually meant. And here in British Columbia, we're, we're amongst the most litigious uh, First Nations anywhere in Canada. Like right. we've been, we've been, uh, we've been fighting uh, because uh, a lot of the uh, land in British Columbia was unceded, uh, unceded territory. Back in 1910, our people, the uh, interior tribes from uh, uh, where I call home uh, around the Calumps area, uh, we all got together and uh, we had uh, James Tate, who was our, he spoke uh, half a dozen different interior uh, Salish languages. He was our interpreter. And uh, what he did is uh, he uh, was our strategist as well. And we arranged a meeting with the uh, then uh, Prime Minister of Canada, uh, Laurier, who was in the midst of an election. And this was uh, 1910. And uh, he would go on to lose to uh, Borden in the, uh, right, the next right. election. So what happened was we put forward, uh, um, we called it the Memorial to Sir Wilfrid Laurier. And it talked about our dreams as Indigenous people to settle the land question. And we said, we'll, we'll divvy up everything in British Columbia, 50-50. And we'll hold each other up. Here's our here's our buy into the Constitution. You know, right. here's our buy into yeah. Canada. 
and uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, 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 Prime Minister would lose the election, and all of our uh, that were, there was a good lesson in there for us. Right. That right. you have to talk to all the different yeah. parties. <laughs> right. And get right. all party support. Yeah. what you're trying to do to, to resolve these long-standing issues. But that that's a historical foundation for what we're talking about today. And uh, it goes back to us wanting to resolve this, this these all these issues. We had a plan in place, but uh, unfortunately, no one took us up on that offer. And mm. uh, as a result, we uh, we're at where we where we are today. You know, uh, uh, a lot of confusion around land issues, a lot of confusion around, uh, uh, you know, what's happened recently with uh, 215 children. Mm-hmm. You know, the Indian Act looms over us as uh, uh, as something that's uh, uh, an ever going ongoing uh, issue and problem for us. You know, as a as an Indigenous person, I've got a status card. And uh, my status card number defines who I am to the federal government. I'm a ward of the federal government. That right. means I'm a child legally in the mm-hmm. eyes of the federal government, that they have a fiduciary responsibility to look after me from cradle to grave. But unfortunately, I don't want that. Right. Yeah. No. I don't want that. I really don't want that. I want to own my own land. I want to have uh, debt. And by debt, I mean uh, buying a house. I have a house right now on my reserve. I have a mortgage, but it's what Hernando de Soto calls dead capital. Um, that my asset here, and the biggest one that anyone makes uh, a purchase in their lives is a home, right? Mm-hmm. But because it's on reserve, I ha- it has no value. Right, right. Or virtually no value. You know, the, the market that I have is being able to sell to other community members in, in my my community. And it's just absurd in this day and age that we have to live with that, that kind of nonsense. So, yeah. So uh, I, I completely agree. What? So you, um, have, your people have been here a very long time. Canada, if it belongs to anyone, belongs to the First Nations, right? I love what you were saying about wanting this partnership of the 50-50. And it's, it is strange that people keep rejecting this, but let's go on what you love about this place for a moment. Like, what is it about Canada? I mean, Canada is so important in all aspects of culture, but particularly to yours. Tell us about that love. Well, I love the fact that uh, we have a democracy that, uh, you know, and, and I, I go back to our, our traditions and uh, our culture and, and the things that we hold dear. And uh, it, it's, it's the fact that we have a, a, a democratic uh, 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 flat society where we, we didn't have uh, typical for um, other West Coast cultures, those uh, caste systems and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, our model of governance is very, very similar to the Canadian style of government, not, not the Westminster style or anything like that, but um, a flat, uh, uh, flat structure where anyone who uh, has the ability and will to lead has an opportunity, like uh, my good friend, uh, 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 the MLA from, uh, yes, from yes. Uh, Kitimat. <laughs> yes, and, exactly. 
Yeah, and 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 he he was a he was a chief in his community. Tell me what his name is, because Ellis I know you Ross. Had Ellis Ross. There you go. <laughs> yep. Ellis Ellis was a, a chief counselor for the Heisland Nation, and uh, he uh, used that particular platform to um, uh, go from. And it's a huge jump, guys. It's a huge jump to go from being a chief in your own community to an MLA for this huge area up around the uh, kid. Yeah, the size of a lot of countries. His riding is the size of a lot of countries. Absolutely. (laughs) But uh, the politics are are absolutely so different. Um, But that's what I love about this country, um, that, you know, Indigenous people uh, have the ability to be leaders in our own in our own communities. And I look back at uh, some of those examples, Len Marchand under the uh, Trudeau government uh, uh, was uh, a cabinet minister. Yes. And he was yes. a personal friend of my father's who was the chief of my community at that time. And uh, he, he wrote a, ball, uh, a book called uh, Breaking Trail. And he talked about his experiences as uh, an indigenous man back in the uh, 60s rising up to become a cabinet member in uh, Trudeau's cabinet. And, uh, you know, a lot of people hate uh, Trudeau for, uh, you know, uh, being condescending and all these other things. But uh, it was actually good for us because he opened the door for uh, a lot of the opportunities that we have as Indigenous peoples. And people like Len Marchand, whose son is now a judge in Kamloops, uh, and his family is very, very successful. Lori, his daughter, is doing extremely well for herself. And, uh, you know, as Indigenous people, we have those opportunities. My community has, uh, like I mentioned, 0.7% uh, unemployment rate. But more importantly, we've got uh, uh, amongst the highest rates of uh, educated people per capita of any Indigenous community in Canada. Oh, wow. We've got a medical doctor. We've got all kinds of people who've got their uh, uh, their degrees. They've got the masters. They've got the uh, doctorates, and uh, we're extremely proud of that. But yes. we're most proud of the fact that uh, we uh, we have to work for a living, and uh, you know we we're, we're positive and contributing members of uh, the local regional economy. In fact, we're the biggest employer in the valley. You know, yes. and uh, yes. we did that by hard work. And being smart. And for me, it was about uh, uh, identifying um, the key people in different industries, hiring them, and then paying them and listening to them. Right. That's what leadership. The, that's yeah. what leadership is all about. Building the team. Absolutely, and listening to them. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can hiring you give them a, and listening I, to them. Can you Let give us some examples, like a few you know, vignettes about that, where you've worked with people? And like, I love that leadership is totally about that so can you give us some tangible examples from your life of moments you saw that so that you know the so that our listeners can learn from how you what you saw there well it's been it's been a long road guys um and i i don't have any stories about uh about that uh in particular but uh you know for for us um especially in my community uh the, the example that I like to use is uh, that, you know, we've got, we've got a, a, with our development corporation, we have a CEO who, uh, who has paid market rates. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and he's got experience in the oil and gas industry, 
We've got uh, um, uh, four chartered accountants working for us. Our cash flows are, are incredible. They're huge. And, uh, you know, the fact that we can manage businesses and look after them uh, for the benefit of our communities. That's what this is all about as far as I'm concerned. Uh, getting training for our, our people, getting opportunities for them for uh, lifetime opportunities for work if they so choose. So we're going after longer term opportunities with uh, different industries and we're playing the long game as opposed to a, a short or medium term game. And uh, we're looking to uh, help our people acquire the skills, uh, build equity in their, their homes if they so choose, uh, and uh, making sure that they can uh, buy a, a, a new truck and uh, educate their children. Yeah. You know, those are, those are the success stories as far as I'm concerned. Oh, and uh, that's what we're most proud of. Yeah, you should be. Pre- I mean, I I was blown away when I, ha- I we had obviously Ellis on before you were on. I was just I'm blown away by both of your guys' like true commitment to your people and leadership. And I want I keep telling the listeners to just pay attention to this because it's so important. What you guys are exemplifying is what every leader should strive to be. It should be about making the lives of the people that are following you, the people you're responsible for, better. Uh, and on and on that note, I think in terms of leadership. I'd love to hear what the Canadian story is from your Canadian story. You know what I mean? What, what, what is the story of your family here? Why do you think uh, there's that we've still so struggling to solve even the beginnings of these problems and maybe some ideas on how we can move forward? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, the, the, the learning has been one-sided and, and what I mean by that is that uh, uh, we've been forced to uh, learn your language uh, at the same time being asked or being forced to um, discard our own language, our own culture, our own history in favor of uh, English. And my dad and my mom both went to the residential school in Kamloops. My mom was trained to be a homemaker. My dad was trained to be uh, uh, a farmhand. And uh, in, in that day and age, back in, my dad was born in 1919. So he was, uh, he was going to school in, uh, you know, uh, the early 30s. And during that time, there's a Great Depression. And uh, I remember my mom telling me, um, her parents, who had a big orchard, they were self-sufficient, completely self-sufficient. They didn't need uh, they didn't need money basically because they would grow their own food and can it and store it. And they everyone had a cellar and an orchard. But my mom said that we would our my mom's family would take in non-native people and feed them. Wow, you know because that's our culture. Yeah, yeah. We're we are taught to share. So it comes back to uh, that earlier point, and I want to talk about my dad a little bit as well. But I, I, I want to come back to that point about us sharing, because that's that's how we are taught to live, you know, and uh, you know that's that's the greatest expression of wealth when you can share what you have with other people and raise them up, you know, yes. and that's a little bit different than the the Canadian experience, which is all about. Uh, 
you know, the entrepreneur being number one and you look after number one at all costs and you, you know, it's a dog eat dog world. Ours is a little bit different viewpoint. You know, if we can mm-hmm. help our own people out and raise everyone up and raise that standard of living, that's a success. Absolutely. We couldn't and, in real ways. And, and my dad, uh, he, he went to that residential school in Kamloops along with my mom. And uh, he, he, uh, he was a second world war veteran. And uh, for our uh, first nations people across Canada, because we're wards of the federal government, they couldn't conscript us by law. Right. So our, our uh, uh, men and women that uh, enrolled in the uh, uh, Canadian army or Navy, uh, they did it as volunteers. Right. Yeah. And, and the, there's, here's the good part of the story. A lot of our people, uh, even though uh, we were um, uh, second class citizens in Canada, we still fought for this country against, uh, you know, the, the World War II uh, foes that, uh, uh, you know, that, that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we, you know, here, and, and, and our people died. We were in Normandy. We were in uh, Italy. I remember uh, taking a look at uh, uh, my uncle would always come and stay with us because he, he didn't have a place to stay. He was a Second World War veteran. And he had bullet holes in the back, his back from a machine gun in, uh, in Northern Africa, wow. you know, huh. and, and, and our people actually died. There's our veterans are, are, are buried in, uh, in those, uh, cemeteries in, uh, in Europe because they gave their lives for this place that we call Canada, even though they were treated as second class citizens, you know, yeah. and that goes back a long, long ways. And we're volunteers. We fought for this, what we call Canada today. And uh, we've given our blood to uphold the, the honor of Canada. And we think it's time that Canada uh, uphold that honor and gave something back to, to us, which is justice. And what I mean by that is those 215 kids that were found recently, I would like Canada to help us. And not just give us platitudes, not just, you know, uh, symbolic uh, gestures like lowering the flag and, you know, talking about how important it is to help us. And, and uh, uh, I would like Canada to actually step up and help us bring the Catholic Church, which has never apologized for their role and culpability in uh, uh, taking away our language, culture, our history. And all of those abuses that were perpetrated upon us in the name of civilization. I'd like the Canadian government to hold them to account for what they did as because Canada has apologized. They right. apologized uh, when uh, 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 this was going back about uh, 15 years ago now. And uh, Prime Minister Harper apologized on the Hill for Canada's role in uh, the... Uh, residential schools, but Canada really needs to help bring the Catholic church to uh, number one, acknowledge what they did. Once they acknowledge, I want them to apologize to us. And then I want them to help rebuild 
our language, our culture, and our history, and get beyond all of the simple platitudes and saying, you know, we're yes. going to do this, yeah. we're going to do that. Because that's what they took away from us that was most dear, as well as the lives of uh, those those little children that uh, that have been found, uh, those 215, you know, and, and that, that hurt, that hurt us, that hurt us. And we've been, we were saying that to uh, um, the different uh, hearings that were taking place around the residential schools issues. And uh, the officials at that time were saying, prove it. What? Really? Here's your proof. Here's your proof. They said, prove it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what they said. So now we have the proof and uh, you know, we, it's such a it's such a horrible issue, guys. Yeah. Oh. You know, I, catastrophic. I, I'm horrified. You know, because both my parents went to that school, and uh, by the grace of God, uh, I'm here. They survived, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of those young kids didn't. Mm-hmm, no. You know, and that's that's what's uh, most heartbreaking about this whole issue. But uh, you know, we're not we're not vengeful people. Mm-hmm. We're not. Uh, we we don't uh, we don't. Uh, I hope we don't hold the grudge and uh, I hope we can build Canada up into uh, the best country in the world. But first, uh, you know, there's some things that need to be right. Uh, uh, they, they need to be righted, you know, and they need to be made whole. And uh, that's one of them. And I, I don't want, I don't want the Catholic church's money. I don't no. need it. I don't need it. Yeah. I don't no. need the blood money. I, I went to, uh, along with a, a delegation of leaders went to, uh, meet uh, Pope Francis back in uh, uh, 2016. And uh, I was carrying a letter from the national chief and uh, we laid out uh, what we're, what we wanted from uh, the Pope at that time. We went to the Vatican and we met with Pope Francis in uh, a private uh, uh, meeting Uh, as well. We took in uh, uh, the Wednesday mass that he has at St. Petersburg square. And then we met with uh, Archbishop Tomasi, and uh, Archbishop Tomasi is the the nuts and bolts guy behind uh, the Vatican. So we went into the Vatican and we met with him, and uh, we asked him a number of things. We asked him to acknowledge that they did ro- did us wrong, and to apologize. We asked him to repeal the papal bulls. There was three of them. Uh, that uh, they're over five hundred uh, years old now, but. Uh, basically, the papal bulls were an agreement between the Roman Catholic Church and the then states, uh, England and all those uh, states that came over to North America. The agreement was that uh, those uh, countries would get uh, North and South America and uh, right. you know, other areas in the Commonwealth that yeah. they so, so-called discovered. But we are here. How can we <laughs> yeah. discover a place when there's already people here? Yeah, it's a weak this is, yeah, yeah, this, a weak is this is how they explained it, guys. This is how they explained it. Um, they the the church called us soulless, uh, and we didn't have a soul because we uh, we we're no better than animals in the forest because we weren't a part of any organized religion. So the agreement was between the church was that the the countries would would lay claim to North and South America and all the other areas in the Commonwealth that they, they uh, tried to expand their uh, Commonwealth, 
You know? Right, right. So they they would get the land and all the resources, and and there's incredible wealth in 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 North and South America, incredible wealth. And the church would get our souls. <laughs> wow. That was the deal. That was the deal. Take a look. Take a look at the papal bulls. There's three of them. And we were there to ask uh, Pope Francis if he would repeal those. Because they're the basis of the doctrine of, Disco- doctrine of discovery, which talks about, you know, uh, uh, so-called legal fiction about claiming our lands. And uh, the other one was uh, Terra Nullius, which talks about uh, an empty land. Oh. We're, we're like animals because so what, we're, so what we're soulless. <laughs> so what, do you, what happened when you asked, what did they say? They said, come back and talk. Keep talking. Because uh, we talked to Archbishop Tomasi and uh, we know there's unfinished business. And uh, we said, we... we we want to continue this discussion and we want to uh, advance uh, our uh, uh, agreement, which is, you know, based on um, uh, the, the fact that they have to uh, uh, agree that uh, they did, they did us wrong. Number one, and apologize and help us rebuild our language, culture and history. But that's, that's just me. I don't know what everyone else thinks. Right, right. But uh, that was the basis of that letter that uh, uh, the National Chief wrote as well. And there was a, no- a couple of other conditions in there. Wow. So I have a, a couple questions on this. How, how, how have you been so able to forgive people? Like you've, It seems to me that you've... I mean, obviously, this is horribly painful. I can't even imagine from your perspective, but the attitude you're bringing to this is just incredible. One of the things we try to do on this podcast is like show people the wisdom of, of those who have lived well. And I can't believe that there, there doesn't seem to be anger. Like you said, we're not vengeful people. How do you do that? It's <laughs> a great question. By being, by being healthy, you know, by being healthy and, uh, you know, educating myself and, you know, I, when I was growing up, uh, my dad was the chief of my community. And uh, the Indian agent uh, approached him and asked him, do you want to send your kids to uh, uh, the residential, continue sending them to the residential school, or do you want to send them to the public school? And uh, my dad, because of his, him and my mom's experience at the Camel's Indian Residential School, said, uh, we want to uh, educate our kids in the public school. And... For us, that was a turning point. And uh, there was also a number of other uh, real key turning points for us as uh, Indigenous people from British Columbia. 1975, we, uh, we shut down a residential school in Kamloops. Uh, and, and this mid-70s were also uh, high, water, high water points for us uh, when we actually said to Indian Affairs, close down your offices here in Kamloops and leave so what happened was a process of devolution where we would take on the the responsibilities and programs from uh indian affairs health canada and uh that's where um we actually started setting up our own administrations our own band managers our own housing departments our own education departments and it spawned a whole movement 
to uh, Indian-led, uh, Indian control of Indian education. Right. And that, for us, was a high-water mark as well, because with knowledge is power, you know. And uh, when, you can, when you can educate yourself and look after your own interests, whether it's administering your, your own uh, band offices with your own people, uh, having your own development corporations with own source revenues that can help rebuild our language, culture, and history with our own money without asking anyone for right, uh, right. For, uh, going to them and cap in hand and saying, can you help us? That's, that's real power. Yes. Freedom. That's freedom. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's, those are some of the lessons that we've learned and, you know, and in the process, um, you know, for me, um, uh, I, I've been 30 years sober because, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stereotypes out there about indigenous people being drunks and lazy and all this other crap. And, uh, it's so untrue. It's such a lie because, uh, you know, we, uh, we've been, uh, we've been put into situation, uh, by a piece of legislation called the Indian Act. And I, I mentioned off the top that I'm a, uh, I'm a children child of the federal government yeah i'm a legal i'm a legal ward of the federal government you know and uh you know it's coming to the realization that um i don't need them i don't need their programs i don't need their uh help to do anything uh and and a lot of our people are in that situation we we have um our own uh individuals who are high net worth individuals now and we can uh, choose our own path in life. We don't need programs. We don't need the help of, uh, you know, the federal government to uh, look after us or, or be a, a child of theirs anymore. And and that's the realization that we kind of came to here in uh, in my community. And it started with uh, asking Indian Affairs to move out of Kamloops. You know, and taking on those responsibilities of looking after those programs for ourselves. And, you know, it's an evolutionary process. And in the meantime, uh, looking after the individual. I, I love this because essentially your answer is how did you overcome it? You took responsibility for your life and said, I'm not, I'm going to forge my own path. Absolutely. Yep. And, and we're doing that, you know, and, uh, uh, the, the the dream is not to have to depend on anyone for um, any of those things, and uh, you know we're we're living that in a in a real way, and I'm pretty darn happy about that. Um, you know, and and just uh, knowing that um, um, our children have the opportunity to uh, to do whatever they want in their lives, that's uh, that's what my dad dreamed about. You know, he, he was he was one of the most angry men that I've ever met in my life because of his experience of having to go to that residential school. And uh, there's intergenerational trauma that uh, accrues from, uh, you know, both my parents. And uh, that doesn't mean that I don't love or didn't love them with all of my heart and soul. Uh, but they were broken individuals. They weren't taught parenting. They weren't taught uh, how to look after. Uh, I had uh, seven brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, um, there was a lot of self-medication that occurred. 
And uh, those old stereotypes, they were true to a certain extent because the residential school broke a whole, probably five or six generations of people. And the toll on our community is immeasurable in suffering and pain and all those other things. And what you saw the last couple of days uh, with uh, finding those 215 uh, little uh, children, um, you've seen an outpouring of emotion from Indigenous people from across Canada. And uh, it's opened up a lot of wounds that we thought uh, we had healed and uh, moved beyond. But, you know, what's encouraging to me, guys, David and Zach, is that the city of Kamloops, we did, we did four days. And four days for our, our culture, that's a sacred number. So we had, a, we had a, 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 a sacred fire for four days. And everyone is invited to our sacred fire. And we would go there. And we would do hand drumming, our sacred songs. And we would uh, put tobacco down in the fire. We would feed. We would put food in the fire for those dearly departed people because the spirits need to eat. So, you know, the ones that are still still hanging around. So we did that. But what was most encouraging to me, guys, is the fact that Kamloops rallied to us. And I have gotten all kinds of emails, calls from people who are saying, we support you. We support you. We stand with you. And we want to see you get uh, justice. And we want to be part of that. And there was a lineup of cars stretching back into the city all the way into the Powell Arbor at Kamloops where we're having a, a number of those ceremonies. And people were being welcomed. And wow. people were showing up in there saying, what can we do to help? I've gotten so many calls. And that's what means the most to me and others who are uh, going through this struggle. And uh, I like to think that uh, it's because Canadians understand what has happened or are beginning to understand. And they just want to help. They're decent, good people given the opportunity to uh, straighten something out that's uh, uh, plagued us for uh, over 150 years now. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is we're at an inflection point in history, guys. Oh, I, yeah. And, I mean, the great hope is that, uh, that we can actually build that partnership you were talking about. We right? can't. We can. Uh, it's within the realm of possibility. And we can finally, we can finally meet you there. Because uh, we're we're coming from a position of strength rather yes. than weakness. Yes. So yes. so let's ask the question on behalf of David and I, on behalf of the people who listen to our podcast. What is it that we can do to support you? Because we do support you, and we do want to be a part of the solution, and and we we want to be a part of the group of people that step forward into relationship and good, healthy, respectful relationship. What are those action points for us? Understand the real history of Canada. Understand it. Take a look at that reconciliation report. You don't need to read the entire thing. Read the executive summary. Take a look at the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. Read the executive summary and, and, and look at it and, and try and see it for what it is. 
because there's a number of things that, within the Royal Commission report uh, on Aboriginal peoples, RCAP. There's the reconciliation report that was released. And there's a number of other things, uh, uh, important uh, 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 documentation around how we get treated as individuals within the health system. There's that uh, inquiry that's happening in Quebec right now. Understand what happened. Mm -hmm. Understand that there's also a report uh, that talked about um, uh, institutional racism against in individuals and uh, uh, my people uh, here in British Columbia with the healthcare system. And it was uh, authored by uh, 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 Terpel Lafond. And it talks about uh, the problems that uh, the healthcare system here in British Columbia, uh, uh, which is no different anywhere in Canada, quite honestly. In some places right. it's worse, sometimes it's better, but you know, that institutional racism, you know, you take a look at what happened in Quebec where, you know, the, the, the uh, indigenous woman is dying and she died as a result of, uh, you know, the, the lack of proper care uh, by those Quebec healthcare professionals. And in this day and age, that should never happen guys, no, ever no. to no. anyone. I don't care. I don't care if, if you're, Brown, black, red, or white. Yeah, it doesn't no, matter. No, it it doesn't matter. You're guys. human. No, but here's here's the point I'm trying to make: educate yourselves. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, yeah. Educate yourselves because we've had to educate ourselves as Indigenous Canadians. We have taken that responsibility very, very seriously, and we continue to do that today. And we will educate other non-Native people in a good way. Yes. Yeah. Not, yes. Not coming from hate or anger or any of those base emotions because that will never advance uh, a platform where we can actually have a discussion and create a safe space for everyone to have a really intelligent conversation about where we want to go as Canadians. Because I'm, I'm a Canadian. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we paid our blood. Yeah. fighting in the world my my grandfathers and in the first and second world war and and all those other uh uh wars that uh our veterans have uh have volunteered for yeah we paid our price and we continue to pay today you know and i i i really take offense at people that say well you know we're, we're living off the canadian taxpayers yeah well you wouldn't have a tax base without uh, the land that we're, we're currently calling Canada. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, on, and on we the, haven't settled that. We haven't settled that uh, particular no, uh, real no. estate transaction yet either. No, so no, we we're still, not. we're still waiting and we're patient because we're not going anywhere guys. We're no. not. So in answer to your question, educate yourselves on the issues that are important to us and we'll help you understand that as well because we're, we're constantly um, uh, educating people about what we think is important. And uh, we think those are important public policy issues that need to be resolved. On that note, I loved what you said that you don't need the Catholic Church's money, but you want them to help rebuild what they took from you. So on that note, can you give me, or give Zach and I, one thing about your culture that could almost die, but has been brought back that just brings you so much 
joy? So, Kwepnus Gene, my unique worldview. So, Kwepnus Gene is, is the language my, my people talk, and it's a dialect of the interior Salish. And um, if you look at all the documentation about uh, the residential school, it was about uh, removing um, our culture, our language, our history from, um, from the children forcibly. Um, washing their mouths out with soap, um, making them uh, do uh, unspeakable acts and torturing them, you know, because they're speaking uh, our, our sacred language. Um, and and for, for us, um, my people, were, there's about uh, 20,000 Shushua people. That's the uh, Anglo term for, uh, for us. We call ourselves Sohwapim. Um, there's 20,000 of us left in this world and no one speaks our language, right? But us, hmm. it's a distinct language unto itself. And it, it talks about a, a beautiful worldview about how coyote was sent by the old one to teach us how to live on the land. It talks about sharing. It talks about caring. It talks about, um, all kinds of things. And once our language is gone, that whole, that whole worldview is gone and everyone is much poorer for that. That's what we're talking about. And that's what we hold dear to our hearts because we don't want to lose that because it means the world to us. Mm -hmm. And it's not about, you know, when, when, when we created the uh, Simp Heritage Trust here in, in, in my community, that was one of the areas that, uh, that we said would be important to us. Language, rebuilding, and retention. So what our young people are doing is using the different platforms like, like this platform, Zoom, to do language lessons for uh, people who... Uh, can't make it out to their uh, uh, classroom. So they do virtual classrooms and they bring elders in and the elders talk about uh, uh, the language and teach the young people how to speak our language. And in particular, there's a, there's a young, my niece, who is, has taken on and she's a fluent speaker of Sohwepam's Gene now because she has made it her personal mission in life to learn what that is and all of those different concepts that go into being uh, a Sohwem person. And that's what means the most to us. And it's not about money guys. No, no, it's I love, not, it's, I love it's that. priceless. And yeah, it, it's, you know, uh, the, it's the government story. of Canada and the church tried to take that from us. Yeah. They tried to take your, they, they, t they said you didn't have souls and they tried to take what actually was your soul from you. Absolutely. They, 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 it's, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, uh, being a Borg 
and just uh, yeah. assuming. Yeah. Assimilate. Assimilate. Yeah. Yeah. Assimilation. Yeah. Great reference. Yes. Wow. Great reference. <laughs> I knew you guys would know what that is. <laughs> That's true. We're, we're I'm hard. a nerd. Uh, we're I'm nerdy, nerdy too. <laughs> my, my, my father raised me on that TV show. So yeah. It's near and dear to me. <laughs> <laughs> on, guys. Oh, what a thank you. Oh, we have to go because we have another one coming up here. But thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you, I, we all know you didn't have to. It's kind of like volu- like your your ancestors did volunteering for the war. You didn't have to go into this war. No, it's not your job to educate us. It's our job to educate ourselves. But I am so grateful for the wisdom you've given us here and, and the perspective you have. It's I'm I'm always blown away every time I I talk about this with with people like yourself. I feel like I would be just be filled with rage all the time and you guys are forgiven and it's, it's quite incredible. <laughs> so thank no, you. No, you know, the, the, the rage is just, it's a one way street, man. Right. And, uh, right. you know, you just, it's not, it's not a good thing. And our elders talk about that and, you know, um, what it'll do, it'll, it'll kill, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. It'll eat you from the inside. Elders, the elders that I talked to, they said that uh, it'll it'll eat you a lot, up like a cancer from inside of you. And uh, sickness comes in through uh, one of four doorways through your lang- or through your emotion, you know, your physical, your spiritual, and uh, I forget the fourth. And 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 that's how sickness gets into your body, you know. And mm. rage is like that because yeah, uh, if true. you if you leave it long enough. It'll eat you from the inside out, and it'll kill you, and it'll it'll wreak havoc on all those people around you. And quite honestly, we don't want that. We want to uh, we want to be recognized as what we are, as is is real human beings with souls, with purpose, with a mission, and we want to be able to share that with uh, with other Canadians because we think uh, we've got a beautiful culture, and we're raised on the uh, you know that uh, we we have to share it. Or I'll just say, if you've got a gift, it it doesn't, it's not a gift until you can give it away. Oh, wow. Yeah. There it is. It's not a gift unless you can give it away. Well, thank you, sir. I can't, can't thank you enough. This has been been really good and I have a lot of reading to do. (laughs) (laughs) We really do appreciate your time and, um, yeah, we, we. I just wanna. I just wanna say that we we support you and uh, we love you and um, we want to be a part of the solution. So thank you for helping us uh, be better at what we need to be better at. And uh, I look forward to the journey ahead of growth and of reconciliation and of coming together. Absolutely, and and reconciliation has a lot of different forms, guys. So we'll meet you there. Oh, thank you. And we'll be ready. <laughs> I know well, you guys are ready. I know ready. you are. We're ready. We're ready. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and a lot of Canadians are. They're they're just looking for someone to provide them with a, a path forward. And we'll do that. You know, we'll do we'll work on that together. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the CAD Story. That's the C A D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.